0: <laughs> all right ladies we're on the final exam and this is your first question let's see how many of you got it right reflecting on the need to wise up without fear the example of Ruth and Naomi and their journey and the role of establishing the kingdom becoming brave and wise raise your hand if you got that right okay a's 3 a's in this whole group okay we hope we get better at this all right the next chapter was be on authenticity acceptance of our gifts and calling the example was Elizabeth the mother of John and she was set aside for conceiving and heralding the King of Kings and so she was becoming you may cheat with your friend oh look at the confusion this is a very sorry thing right now you are flunking but as I said I am a gentle teacher and so here's a reminder for you busy moms becoming mom with a mission all right that makes sense, right? Remember her? She had a total mission. She was going to bring the, the heralder of Jesus totally on task with that. Okay, now here's the next one. The next chapter was about releasing to God our real past hurts so that he can do the work of accountability and we can be free from the weight of grudges and unforgiveness. We featured Rahab, who had an infamous past and a famous future because of a choice she made to protect those who were following the one true God. That chapter was called Becoming... I see your lips moving in the right direction. There it is, becoming free. True, 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 true. I remember Gretchen's lecture on this. It was very significant to me to to give our give our past hurts to God so He can do the work and we can move on, on unencumbered. All right, uh, the next chapter was about living well in community and managing our pain, minding our tongue, resolving conflict, featuring Hagar, the maid servant of Abraham and Sarah. Who had an unjust role to bear, but found her rest, and she was cared for faithfully by God, who saw her in her need. And the name of that chapter—two words. Uh huh. I hear nothing. I hear nothing. I hear Bueller, Bueller, becoming emotionally strong. Oh my gosh! Yes, right, right. Becoming All right. The next chapter, chapter five, finding rest, shalom, satisfaction in being right with God, being more Mary than Martha, and we learn from Gretchen about Esther, whose inner and outer beauty were gloriously useful for the people of God. I dropped a big hint there. The answer is becoming Esther. Remember Esther, beautiful. Queen Esther? You've seen the <clears throat> VeggieTales version? Becoming beautiful. Becoming beautiful. <clears throat> And Our last chapter which we're talking about today is the art of walking in grace and truth and the focus of this lesson is a horizontal one with our community and our sisters and a vertical one with God and just like the greatest commandments love God love others This lesson I'm going to introduce to you is about Priscilla who is featured as a leading woman along with her husband Akilah and serves and sustains leaders toward a powerful and true faith no matter what she is becoming awesome unshakable all right she give yourself um, a score like how well did you do you know and if you need to study for the brunch now you know what to study you've got a cheat sheet in front of you which of those chapters do you need to study all right we're going to talk about Priscilla and Aquila who have an unshakable marriage they are mentioned six times in scripture they are over here on the timeline um, this is Paul he is um, the convert in the uh, that has Decided, um, based on his um, encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, that he is going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And here he is over here. He has written most of the New Testament. So we're talking about New Testament characters that were involved with the early church here. And among those are uh, Priscilla and Aquila. And they are um, people, Jewish people of faith who were in Rome and have been exiled by... um, the governor, the, uh, the, the leader, what's his name already? I've forgotten. Well, anyway, they are exiled because they're Jewish, because Jews are known as rebel rousers, but <clears throat> not only that, because they're rebel rousers for Jesus. So these are Messianic Jews or believing Jews, however you want to put that. Um, they have moved from Rome, and they're going to go on to Ephesus and Corinth eventually. Um, they are tent makers by trade, which might mean they weave tent-making material or that they actually sew tents and awnings and flags and sails. They have a rousing business because they are on the seashore, and it's a windy place. Um, They are missionaries with Paul. They are the first missionaries with Paul, among the first, and they actually may have been martyred for their faith. Tradition says that they may have been martyred for their faith. Um, It was Emperor Claudius, I recall now so uh they've been in rome and they're moving on to corinth which i'll show you a map a little bit later so we're going to learn about their unshakable marriage the most interesting thing for me about this couple is they're never mentioned separately from each other they're always a couple you know like Brad and angeline used to be you know they are a power couple they are never listened separately and most of the time four of the six times priscilla's name precedes Aquila's, which is very significant if you understand how it is to be recognized as a woman of faith in the church and in every, every other historical structure. So this is quite interesting. There's a lot of speculation about that, which I won't go into. You can make up your own mind. But I know Jesus was a radically inclusive um, uh, change agent for God. He looked at women as if they were quite valuable. He poured into them, the women at the well. In other words, his doctrines and his and his truths and he expects all of us no matter what our gender what our stage what our age in life to carry those out. And here we see Priscilla and Aquila doing that as a married couple. Very very cool. They are working out an unshakable mission. In Acts 18:1 through 11, we hear that Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Athens, Greece and went to Corinth. and he found a Jew there named Aquila, a native-born Pontus of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had commanded all Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was one of the same trade, Paul that is, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching teaching the word of God among them. So they had an overnight guest for 18 months. That's a lot. But they had the same trade, and they also had the same mission in mind. Paul, of course, an apostle to the Gentiles, moving through the processes, you'll read in all of his letters that he starts in the synagogues and moves out. But here are, here are people that are moved to this area that are like-minded, and so he goes to stay with them to perpetuate his mission. Now, how do we become unshakable in our work of marriage? I think it's highly commendable to work with your husband. I grew up in a home where my parents did work together, and they were home together in my house, and sometimes it was very good, and sometimes it was, it was not so good. And there are some reasons for that. Um, there's some science behind um, working in, uh, with your spouse. I'm going to read you a little science. According to the National Federa- Federation of Independent Businesses, 43% of small businesses are family businesses, which was mine, and half of those, more than half of those, are managers uh, as husband and wife. There are pros and cons. One pro, and this is important, is sharing the same goals and values and being able to celebrate success together. And while you're celebrating, your spouse actually knows what you're celebrating. Sometimes I come home with a story from my husband of something great that's happened, and he's like, I I don't get it. Because we aren't on the same page about that particular thing. So if you're working together, you know what each other's goals are, and you know what to celebrate. The spouse partners seem to have a deep trust and understanding of each other personally as well. The cons are um, the personal and the professional mix together. And there's no place to go when your co-worker bothers you because he lives with you. <laughs> Science says that in a five-year study that 5,000 couples found that a spouse's personality affects their career. Well, that's not brain surgery, but here it is. Here's the personality piece we're looking at. Conscientiousness. People foster success wherever they are and in whichever space they live in if they are conscientious, which means if we are other-minded, if we are thinking about the other before ourselves, Conscientiousness is characterized by a tendency to be organized and dependable and creates conditions that foster success in all areas of their life. Conscientious people notice and support their spouse by helping them in day-to-day tasks. The conscientious person encourages habits like reliability, which helps release the overall stress of life, promoting a healthy work-life balance. Now, the other thing is um, knowing what you know about... So spouses that work together do fight a lot, turns out. But um, they fight over the things that they value. And uh, they don't fight more than other people, but they don't fight less than other people as well. But they are in the same household. So the biggest fight that people have is the fight over mm, money. This shouldn't be a surprise to us. Even if we're not in business together, our household is a business together. We fight over money. And so um, 87% said they would, despite money trouble, marry the same spouse again. And the scientific research says they think it is in spite of the roller coaster that defines entrepreneurship, there's a strong desire to stick it out, and a feeling that they're on the journey together. This is huge. This is Priscilla and Achilla, on the journey together. So let's talk about some of the practical things that make an unshakable marriage. First of all, be marriage-minded for yourself and others. What this means is we, we understand that society needs healthy families, and healthy families need healthy marriages. It's the smallest unit of the smallest unit of a society, which I've said before. If we are marriage-minded, we are less inclined to tell our neighbors bad things about our husband so she'll agree with them and hate her husband or any other person that, for that matter. But marriage-minded means I protect your marriage. And when I'm with my, my friend who has told me some hard things that she's going through, I protect his dignity by not bringing that up, by not wearing that as a mask, by respecting the nuances that are in each marriage. That's one thing. Um, I'm going to tell you a story about my friend, <clears throat> Sue. <clears throat> one time, my husband and I um, were having a bad season, You know, just like <sighs> oil and water, oil and water. And I must have been telling my friend Sue about that. And so she called me one day and, out of the blue, said, um, Steve and I, her husband, are coming over to get your kids. At that point, there were three, so you and Mike can have the evening together. And I was like, I don't really want the evening. (laughs) So I started to think of the things that he should know are hard for me, so we should go grocery shopping, we should clean. These are the things that we should do so he would know how valuable I am to this marriage, and I wouldn't feel like, you know, a maid or something. And then the whole idea of Steve and I are going to give you the gift of time with your husband, and I knew Sue, she loved the Lord, and she loved the sanctity of marriage, and I knew she wouldn't want me to be marching around. So... I sat on that idea for a while. And it was like, well, I think 2 o'clock she called me in the afternoon. I was like, well, okay, if it's not that, it's not that, it's that. Like by 4 o'clock, I thought, well, okay. Called up my husband. I said, so, you know, Sue and Steve are taking the kids. Now, I talk to my husband a lot. He works long hours. He goes, oh. I said, he goes, why? And I said, you know, just so we can have time together. He goes, Oh. I'll be home in 45 minutes. He <laughs> usually gets home about 6:30, it's about 4.15. I'm like, now what? Do I wrap myself in cellophane? <laughs> but in that 45 minutes, and I told you God multiplies time.
1: I my mind
0: was transformed to be his wife and not his fallen chain or maidservant or nag or the mother of his children. I just started to think about it as a date. I'm like, dressed up a little, put on some makeup. And so that's why it matters that other people are marriage-minded for you because that had an effect for a year. I'm not even kidding. We still refer to that night, okay? Uh, For a year. I'm not going into detail there. Beware of forks in the road. This time I'm uh, referring to the point at which you and your spouse become experts at two different things. In my case, I was an expert at child-rearing. I'm a teacher by trade. I read every book there was about mothering. I became very entrenched in being a good mother and following prescription. And my husband was deeply entrenched in his career. So when we came together, the gap was getting wider and wider over time. So the one thing that Priscilla and Aquila have in common is that they are working together for the same goals. But we have to create those goals, even if we don't have a professional job together. We have to create things that are in common for us and the kids, and we have to deliberately steer toward it. Because I think the tendency is adrift. So beware of those forks in the road. And then spend your money, in, spend and earn your money in harmony. This as the report says um, is a big issue. It's one of the top two for the breaking up of marriages is that we don't uh, cooperate or communicate well about uh, our money and our spending. There's a course here at at church offered called Financial Peace. I would suggest it for you. My husband and I watched it on DVD. By the time now that we're 60, I'm sort of getting how this works. Uh, He always contributed more financially because I was giving my time and money away. But because of that, we've been able to create a pathway that makes sense to me. And just last year, he said to me, no, you're good at giving, and I'm good at saving. So I'm going to create an account where you can give out of that account. You don't have to talk to me about every." Decision you make about giving it for me that gives me a nice boundary. this much money is set aside for generosity And it's very freeing it took us a long time to get there 37 years as a matter of fact <laughs> All right following an unshakable path. I'm going to read this uh, scripture from Acts 18 um, to 18 to 21 after this Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila this is the missionary part And they came to Ephesus and he left them there, but he himself went to the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined and he set sail from Ephesus. So I'm just gonna show you over on the map. All right, this is um, where they were uh, over here by Athens. Then they went to Corinth and Paul stayed with them for 18 months there. And then they all set sail for Ephesus way over here. And Paul left them here in Ephesus and carried on here's his missionary journey he carried on this is where he leaves uh, Priscilla and Aquila. so this is something about being ready to get up and go when God says get up and go we just sang about that upstairs if you if you listened well I did it really spoke to me so I'm going to talk about what it means to be an unshakable follower because they weren't following nothing they were following someone who was following the one and so they could put their trust in there so I would say the three points that I want you to know is be ready to go because God's already there My family moved five times while I had children at home. Three of my children went to three different high schools, different grade schools. They were all born in a different town. Every time we moved, I got pregnant. I'm just saying, I'm not moving again. Um, So I will say that getting ready to go was not always my favorite thing fact I bemoaned it a lot. I didn't even realize how difficult it would be for me to reestablish myself in my new community until I got there the first couple of times. Very sad. I think you would call it depressed. I don't think I called it that then. I had a hard time figuring out who I was in the economy of life. I had one or two or three very young children. My my time and space and ability to get about was limited. Um, It wasn't until some of them got in school that I could connect with some of the school activities that made a good way to connect with other women. I had no idea how critical it was to have other women in your stage of life around you. By the time I got here to Geneva where we live, um, I had already recognized that God was already there and he would show me a friend, like real quick. And in my neighborhood are two women who are from this church, both across the street and next door, who invited me into their ministry. And the ministry they were doing was with a woman that I knew from one of my other locations, and I got to sit at the table with Lorene, this woman, who looked me in the eyes and told me I was valuable and welcome. And among other people here in this church and in my community and my neighborhood, people were demonstrating that God's already there. He's got a plan for you. Chill out a little bit. I figured it out after five times. I'm just saying, guys, don't do it like I do it. Do it better. (laughs) Bloom where you're planted is the second point. Bloom where you're planted. Look for the things to do there that you might not have been able to do elsewhere. Maybe it's because of how uh, you're situated with your children, like I said, getting involved in school or the church. But look for the ways to grow while you're here. You may not be able to put down the deepest roots ever. This is not my home, it's not my parents' home, I don't have a deep history with this place, but I appreciate the history that is here, both in the church and in the community. So bloom where you're planted, and then look for your people. I give a talk sometimes, and I started out with a a very famous quote um, that says, you can walk into a room and and look at it two ways. You can say, here I am, or there you are. And the more attractive way is to say, there you are, because I see you. I see you, and that matters to you like it mattered to Hagar. I see you, and I want to know you. I don't want to sell myself. I don't want to charm you. I just want to see you. And so if you can look for your people by listening to people who tell you their kinds of stories, like my girls in the neighborhood. One of them said um, something about me moving there, and then she said, you must be very blessed to be here. Well, I heard that word. That, now, at, at the time and this is almost 15 years ago, people didn't use blessed all the time. I thought, hmm. And I said, oh, yeah, I am. You know, God's been good. She said, so you're a believer. Right away now, we had a thing. But we were listening to each other, and she was saying, I see you, there you are, bringing me brownies, which is a good way. And um, I was saying, I hear what you're saying, and I see who you are, and you're going to be my people. So I've been very blessed by that. That's how you can become an unshakable follower no matter where you land. Um, uh, Priscilla and Aquila were unshakable teachers. Here is an example. Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. Remember, they're over there in Ephesus. Um, he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the things concerning Jesus, fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things <coughs> concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia or Acacia, I don't know how you say it. Um, I should ask Lorene this. The brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted uh, refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. All right, here's Apollos. They meet him. He knows a lot, but he doesn't know everything. Now, Priscilla and Achille have made a lifetime of following after Jesus via Paul. And so they know more. And they can hear in Apollos that he's talking about a kind of baptism of repentance, the way that Paul was teaching, rather than a baptism of new birth, the way Jesus was teaching. And so they're like, okay, you're missing kind of an important element here. So they took him aside and gently told him how to correct his teaching. And you know what it did? It empowered them to move on and preach boldly and make a difference around the world. They were teaching in their sphere, no matter where their sphere was, and they were doing it with respect, with gentleness and respect. So this is how we can, as moms, become an unshakable learner and teacher. First of all, we have to seek the truth and speak the truth. And here's the caveat in love. Let me read this to you. In Ephesians, Paul also says to the people in Ephesus, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and from by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, and from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, in which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. If we want to seek the truth and speak the truth, we do it in love. I just heard of a situation where somebody was speaking and somebody came right away and refuted what they were saying in the front of everybody. And I don't know about you, but that would really, that would really hurt my heart. Because honestly, I think most of us who are trying to speak for Christ are trying to do it as best we can. So we really want to be careful about when we correct people. I myself do it. I've corrected my husband in the course of conversation when we're with other people. I've corrected my children in ways that were embarrassing. I've, I've corrected my leaders. It's ugly, and it actually doesn't work. But if you take someone aside, like Paula, uh, Priscilla and Aquila did, it magnifies their teaching. It makes them better. Now hide this in your heart. Well, this is a uh, form of memorization that's, that, that I, I would say um, is so outstanding. Your brains are still young enough to memorize well. Um, memorize it along with your kids. If you've got kids in Sunday school and they're memorizing for their Sunday school lesson, oh my gosh. Memorize it along with your kids. Make it part of your song or your game. Post it everywhere. Your book has some examples on this. Um, Psalm 119, which is a really big song and it's an acrostic. Here's a piece of it. In your righteousness, give me life. These are the words of everlasting life in our scriptures. I want to develop a hunger for it. I can, pray this. I can pray the words of God back to him. I want to develop the hunger that he says I should develop. Those are the words of David. Now, like Paula, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, become an apostle in your sphere. I can't seem to talk today. Become an apostle in your sphere. I want to read this to you. 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. Sometimes we leave that last part off. Gentleness and respect are key in whatever sphere we're in. Husband, um, wife to husband, mother to children, neighbor to neighbor. Another attribute of Priscilla and Aquila, they had unshakable sacrifice. Romans sixteen four another letter of Paul to the people of Rome he says greet Priscilla and Aquila my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risk their necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well we don't know exactly what this means but it's pretty clear it was a big risk um, for us as moms I hope you're not risking your life or your neck to to practice your faith but I will tell you this. Discipline of prayer and church attendance is a sacrifice of something else. It means Sunday mornings look like this, or Saturday evenings look like this, or Tuesday mornings look like this, and they don't look like the other options. Um, My husband brought this discipline to our marriage. I was a believer, but without the discipline. And he had the discipline. He had the practice. He had the every Sunday we kind of thing. Every meal, we. I appreciate that discipline, and I learned that from him. We can take on that discipline. I need to read you this little... um, Post from a blog that's called Her View from Home. See if it resonates with you. There was a time not so long ago in my adult life when I felt the closest to God I have ever been before. But now I'm in a different season, and I find myself often frustrated. Sunday morning, I sat down in the pew feeling the distance between me and the cross as it stared down at me. Not because I don't want a relationship or I'm not trying, but I can't seem to give the cross the devotion it deserves. With a toddler sitting next to me, every five seconds my attention is diverted, holding him, feeding him, handing him a toy, saying, shh. With each word from the liturgy I'm missing, I feel myself drifting farther away from being involved in what's happening. As I drift away, the weight of life begins to creep in in my mind, and the list begins to be written in my head. The worries begin to set in, and my attention seems to run out of the sacred building. Have you found your mind drifting during church? or Bible study. Here she says, I sit, nine months pregnant, uncomfortable in the pew, fidgeting as I switch positions. I think of how uncomfortable I am, how distracted I am. And I call out to God and I say, I'm sorry, I'm just not here with you today. I really wish I could be. And my son starts wanting to walk around the pew and I think to myself, why am I even here? Even if it's worth it, when I, is it even worth it if I'm here at all? If I'm here telling God that I'm sorry for being distracted, is it enough? Because it doesn't feel like enough. All of these thoughts swirled in my head Sunday morning and God answered me. Oh, he does that. My sweet son, who no longer could sit still, was standing next to me in the pew as I tightly held his arms to keep him from running away. And the choir began to sing and he suddenly stopped pulling away and he put his hands in the air and began to dance swaying back and forth, hands held to heaven. Everyone in the pews around us turned to watch him as he joyfully danced to the music for our Lord. And I looked down at him, almost in tears, and I felt joy and pride well up inside me as he praised God in his own little way. It was the first time in church that day I was truly present. And in that moment, I felt the closest closeness to God I had hoped to find when I stepped into his house that morning. My son was blessed, standing in the glorious praise to Jesus it mattered for him, it mattered for my marriage that we showed up that week as a family, it mattered to our faith family that we devote ourselves to your word, it all matters. <coughs> church is sometimes the hardest hour of a Sunday morning, getting there, and if you don't have a program for children to be enriched in, which we definitely do here, or you prefer to have your children next to you, you do so in great peril. My children, my children went to church next to me, on the pew, it was like that, often full of um, elbows. <laughs> Uh, So when you are going to uh, start sacrificing, I think you have to know that you are going to uh, make sacrifices that people don't always like. If you have a teenager and you start a new habit in your home, the phone goes here, Sunday morning you go here, youth group starts now, there's probably going to be some pushback. And you should expect that, but you have to endure the transition into something good, just like any exercise program. You should expect the pushback and press on. So make changes with God in mind and endure the transition expect pushback and press on. Unshakable fellowship. This is what it says of Priscilla and Aquila in 1 Corinthians 16 19. The churches here in the province of Asia send greetings in the Lord as do Aquila and Priscilla and all the others who are gathered in their home for church meetings. Priscilla and Aquila were the consummate hosts. They had they hosted Paul for 18 months at one point, three years at another point, and in the meantime, they had home churches in both of those cities. And they were welcoming. Now, I'm going to tell you this picture with these nice little ladies and the toys on the floor. I just keep looking at their coffee mugs thinking, somebody's going to knock those over. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it is not easy to have fellowship with babies. You can't even finish a whole sentence most of the time. But let's try it anyway. Paul says, be hospitable. Be hospitable. Cultivate relationships with faithful women of all ages, so he says again. Peter says be hospitable. Paul says to, the, to Titus and um, the women there, cultivate relationships with people of all ages. I have been blessed to have some older mentors, some who have passed on, but passed on some amazing faith in the, in the face of ending years and pain. And I have some young women who I, I just love being with because they bring me energy and perspective. You are among those. So serve your sisters in their need. If you have that kind of unshakable fellowship and somebody comes over and all you have for them is peanut butter, put it on a pretty plate and have a party. It tastes better on a pretty plate, my friend used to say. And then have an unshakable Christmas because uh, here's the news. It's 35 days. (laughs) So this is a season when we are going to be busy. We are going to be busy through Thanksgiving and Christmas and there's going to be a lot of things on our agenda. So I want you to be like this woman and point up. Everybody put your finger up. And tell Jesus, you're the reason for the season. You're the reason for the season. Keep me unshakable. Keep me unshakable. Let me pray. Father God, you are our security, our hope, and our future. Help us to keep pointing you, pointing to you, pointing our children to you, uh, pointing our lists to you, pointing our worries to you. Lord, you are capable of taking them all on even in the midst of the busiest season. Lord, we, we thank you for calling us together. For this six weeks of study, we ask that you make these seeds that you've planted in our heart bloom and grow wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen. listening to you. I would love to meet you for coffee next week possibly if not next week we'll figure out something else open device uh, let me look what day do you have in mind uh, or do you, one, you have monday tuesday wednesday my husband's taking off the whole week oh wow you have a, you have a babysitter so yeah so like perfect okay monday's i work i right. think let me let me check this. we are going to do that for sure. what time of day is okay. this Really? <laughs> You know, and I know it takes time.